Although edited for television, tonight's thriller contains scenes of suspense and violence which may be unsuitable for young viewers. Parental discretion is advised. Advent, the first story that we're going to cover this episode, debuted in Dark Horse Presents number 42, which was released on April 24th, 1990. The cover features the sex synth Bella, which was strange to me. I remember seeing that cover weird randomly. I mean, there's no reason why I would see this one particular Dark Horse Presents cover a bunch, but because it was, it was so striking to have this bisected woman who I couldn't remember if I recognized immediately that she was synthetic or not, but it just struck me as weird. This lifeless bisected woman, like the Black Dahlia on a fucking cover. This was a light month for Dark Horse. Uh, some of the books they came out with that month included Luther Arkwright, Chevelle Noir, Roach Mill, Zone. So if you needed an alien fix, this is pretty much the only game in town at that time. Uh, they also released The Concrete Celebrates Earth Day 1990, which gave you some flashbacks to that one year where suddenly everybody cared about the environment and then completely forgot about it, and we let it slowly die. In the issue itself, there's a Kings in Disguise story by James Vance and Dan Burr, as well as a chapter of The Argosy by Bruce Zick. I'd read credits. I I think the credits in the original issue was is solely to Paul Guinan for plot and art, but as I look a little bit deeper into it. It looks like his wife Anita Bennett, who is his co-creator and writer on the Heartbreaker series, also contributed to this story. It was originally presented in black and white, but they colored it for the Dark Horse Presents Aliens One-Shot, which is where I was first exposed to. And Xenopedia notes that it's the first expansion telling an alien story that doesn't feature any of the movie characters. I also want to point out, too, that the story was lettered by Willie Schubert, who I got to meet at Palooza during the 30th anniversary. It's the only time, to my knowledge, that a letter has ever been brought to Houston and uh, I did actually talk to him a little bit about maybe doing a Rolled Spine podcast logo back before he had one but by and large he wasn't doing hand lettering anymore not that anybody does and he certainly wasn't doing it at a convention and we never got back together on that so I, I will mourn a little bit for the missed opportunity to have a Willie Schubert logo I don't know how many people are going to get hand logos going forward in comics but anyway That's sorry to start to interrupt I, I, know, I will ask you too before no, we get no. started talking about the story you were reading Dark Horse Presents in this time period or no? Yeah see that's the thing like i this is this is the first time i read this advent terminus two-part thing like like i i read dark horse comics presents but it was it was flighty you know like like i i mean i i i remember you know i, w- I was listening to you and Fryhole talk about avp like i i remember i that is the most distinct memory i have of it being hyped to death because of aliens versus predator so i i remember going out of my way to buy that i I want to say like a lot of other stuff like I, it was almost like I was trade waiting for things you know because like I don't I don't even remember like I, I might have bought issues of Dark Horse Presents after Sin City was was a known commodity because they had like little one shots and things like that or something like that you know some of those I, I remember what like the hundredth issue had like all these different I don't know if it was like different covers or different stories or whatever it was but you you you, you ended up buying like five copies of issue 100 because it had a bunch of different content or something but it was it was always kind of you know it depended on what what they were really pushing so i i can't say i was like faithfully you know it, it wasn't like every you know you know it kind of reminded me of marvel comics presents it's like there there were there were things that really you know i guess engrossed me and and i i knew like oh i gotta get this sam keith wolverine thing or i i you know i i, I gotta read you know the weapon x thing or 
or whatever. But it but it wasn't wasn't consistent. Like once once it kind of dovetailed into, you know, I don't know, Deathlock doing something or, you know, Colossus going off to, to have a solo adventure or whatever, then then I was like less, I don't know, committed to the title. Right. Like so. So I think the same thing applies to, to Dark Horse Presents. So I had never read either of these before. So I, I, I can't say like that I was a regular reader. I, I feel like a lot of stuff, you know, even like Sin City, right? Like I know that started in Dark Horse Presents, but my my distinct memory is I, I picked up like the, uh, the the Dame to Kill For stuff and then I got the trade of of the Hard Goodbye, which at that point was just like you say, you know, it was like Sin City. That That's all it was called, right? And you just, you know, you sort of read that trade and, and then I didn't have to, I guess, F with, you know, <laughs> any any other backup stories that I wasn't like super hyped or, or clued into, you know, by, I don't know, whoever was publicizing the hell out of it, whether it was, you know, Wizard or Hero or whoever, you know, but so th- this is kind of the first time I read it. I mean, it's interesting because I looked at both. Like I, I looked at the black and white and I looked at the, the color. I mean, I, I have to say I'm always usually I mean, I know I know sometimes there's that pushback against, you know, maybe there's some original vision, you know, that they had with the black and white and, and that could possibly affect story points and stuff like that. I don't I don't think it did. It's such a short story that it, it didn't really seem to have that problem to me. And I, I have to be honest, I, I think I prefer the it's in the omnibus, right? The colored version. Yeah, it's in the omnibus. And it was originally in the one shot square bound Dark Horse Presents Aliens uh, t- book. Oh, OK, right, right. Because they, they reprinted it in like a one shot with all the, the different solo stuff. Yeah. So you I mean, I like... to, you didn't happen to get that one shot when it came out, did you? No, I did. And I was curious, too, because uh, I know that you were pretty big into Aliens versus Predator. Did you you said you went out of your way to get the individual Dark Horse Presents issues that was a prelude to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. I, I remember, I think, previews like promoted the hell out of that, you know, and, and that was something where I was like, oh, OK, I'd like like it, it seemed like you were clued in. Like if you if you want to be in on the ground floor of this Aliens versus Predator thing, you should you should get those Dark Horse Presents issues. Like even though I think what didn't they ultimately like reprint them in like a zero issue or exactly, something later. Yeah. But 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 I, I, I think I was at least hip enough to previews and all that stuff where they, they kind of really emphasize like, hey, if you want to if you want to be in on this thing, like get these get these Dark Horse Presents comics. And I, I do remember like I, I, I want to say like there might have been some random smatterings of other back issues of Dark Horse Presents I had that were earlier than that. But I feel like that Aliens versus Predator, you know, the what is it? The 34, 35, 36, like those those I think were the earliest Dark Horse Presents issues that I ever bought. How did you you read those on a monthly basis? How did that work for you? Did, did you feel like you were getting added value? you by getting those as they were coming out or were you just frustrated that they were kind of trickling out rather slowly uh i don't I mean, I, I think I was too young to have any kind of, you know, frustration or be super bitter. Like I, I just thought that the, the, to me, like that, that concept was, was really cool. I mean, actually it's, it's, it's funny. It's kind of why I said I wanted to talk about this, the, you know, this two part short story. Cause this is, this is my wacky tinfoil theory that has no, no, I, I cannot substantiate this at all, but I was, I was looking at this and I'm kind of like, you know, it's a, it's, it's a 
so-so story, right? Like they got these, you know, I don't know, this poor man's Indiana Jones who comes in with his crew of people or whatever, but he's more, he's, he's a little more Burke than Indiana Jones. And, and they land on some planet that has a pyramid and they think they're going to get this great score and they come in and then all of a sudden, you know, the aliens are popping out and the, the, I don't know, the, the, the OMAC babe in a box or whatever she is like gets, you know, torn apart like right away. And, and, and all that kind of stuff goes down like immediately in the first segment. Right. And, and, and they're completely, completely fucked. Right. And all I could think of was, is this where these motherfuckers who made the aliens versus predator movie got the idea to set it in a fucking pyramid? Like, is this, is this what I have to blame for that movie? Fucking, you know, be it all PG 13 and pyramidy and stuff like that's That's all I could think of. Cause I was like, fuck, did somebody, cause I, I don't, you know, like I said, I didn't read this. Like to me, it's kind of a bit of obscura. And I was just like, wait, you mean there were aliens that hunted people in space pyramids before that, that, uh, you know, whatever it was, 2003 movie. Like I was, I was totally sort of like blown away by that. And I was kind of like, oh, God damn it. Like, is that, I'm like, did some, some exec just happen to stumble upon this and decide, Hey, that's a good idea. Let's, let's all have it take place in a pyramid, you know? And I was like, God damn it. You know? So I was, I was, I, cause, cause again, I was listening to you and Freyhold talk about the, 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 the miniseries, you know, the AVP miniseries. And, and, and I, I am definitely on team, you know, this needs to be in, you know, outer space or this needs to be set in a colony or, or what have you. Right. Like, and, and I don't, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed that they had to, I don't know, set it on earth and, and, and kind of change so much stuff, you know? And, and so that, that was one of those things where I was like, who, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to point the finger at, you know, the Hollywood suits or whatever, who, you know, have to make it work for, for film or whatever they just decide. But also I was kind of looking at this and going, God damn it. Is this, is this something that nudged them in that direction? You know? And I was just like, motherfucker. Like, so I was, I was kind of, I, 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 I had that adverse reaction to the story just on the basis of that, you know, but I mean, well, I, guess, I, I, I guess I was getting, I was having some cognitive dissonance myself because I knew the pyramid was familiar and I was trying to figure out why it was. And it finally hit me that I started this podcast by covering the original early draft version of Alien that was that was published one of the last books that Dark Horse put out. And that also involves a pyramid, which is not something that is in place in the actual movie. Of course, the a ship in the movie. But in that earlier draft of the script that was illustrated, uh, that's a pyramid. So I think that that was probably the first fruit of, of this some particular poison tree. And then it probably fed into this story potentially. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, back in the Man, 80s, I'm not sure yeah. how much access they would have had to early drafts of, of Alien. Um, so it might have been that this was wholly original to them. But between those two, you can see where AVP got it from. And Xenopedia made a point of mentioning that as well. That that makes sense because they Hollywood can't let can't let a quote unquote good idea go. Like if they if they thought that pyramid idea was a winner, like they they, they certainly like tuck it away and save it for some later movie, which turned out to be AVP, I guess. So well, thankfully that's, we that's never got the that. giant spider alien, so we got that to look you know thank you thankful for. <laughs> it's weird, like like do you like like I know, I know we're kind of making fun of the the synth babe or whatever they're calling her or whatever. Like she's on the cover, she's. She 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 gets uh, uh, demeaned, talked down to, or whatever, like throughout the course of the the first part before she kind of gets brutally like uh, you know 
severed into two parts or whatever right but but the 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 other thing that it made me think of where i was like i never i mean maybe it's naive right because we we've had this conversation before where i you know i was like i I don't view you know newt as a as a sexual object of gratification right so so maybe i'm naive too or maybe i'm just I'm, i'm i'm not willing to cross the streams but that reminded me of of blade runner very much you know like the whole pris like the whole you know kind of you know i don't know what whatever you want to call it you know sex bot like you know this this whole weird thing that i remember the cover freaked out my mother the whole old mac you know with the the, the lady in oh, the i'm the, sure your the mother suitcase, wasn't the only one you know? freaked out by that image i think that's a historical oh, yeah, fact yeah, yeah. lots of people freaked I, out I, by that image i think every every time i think every time somebody's exposed to that i think i was listening to like john and maggie schaefer and like he somehow they they ended up like either reviewing that or or he showed her a cover to like establish like this is what the old OMAC was like or whatever and even when I think every woman like has the same it's 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 what do you call it it's like it's like uh, genetically like it's just this genetic reaction where they see that and they go what the fuck is that you know like and they're they're totally like you know it's funny because I was like oh how did Kirby like like it's like I don't know like like it's not so much like I I love the image or anything but I just I, I find it fascinating that it just it evokes such a visceral response from like you show it to any woman and they'll just they'll 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 have that same kind of like what is that like thing you know and it just i don't know and this this is not as visceral i guess but but i mean it is it is similar right like i mean there there's there's kind of a uh i'm trying to think of the right word there's this well, I, I would say for starters, a literal objectification to where the the yeah. women are literally parts and not a a whole, not a being uh, that uh, uh, can afford to be regarded even being put together properly. You know, uh, one of the things I think dig about yeah. the story in color specifically is that the two characters that are synthesoid or part synthesoid are off color. You know, they they uh, they have their sort of unfortunate yeah. coloring that we would associate in earlier times with ethnic characters. Um, so you've got a, a literal othering of them, and it's especially a, a poignant when it comes to the the, the female. Uh, and it's funny that you're bringing up Blade Runner because obviously there's a lot of shared DNA thanks to Ridley Scott. And I, I just recently yeah, listened yeah. to a three hour long uh, podcast, The Projection Booth, always a great show by the way, where they were talking about Blade Runner and talking about Ridley Scott and the you know the potential of crossing those streams, and in particular how he had worked on Prometheus and he was supposed to work on a Blade Runner. Uh, sequel that never ended up manifesting after his brother died and you know so it's fresh in my mind thinking about mixing those two properties it's actually kind of a shame in my mind that Dark Horse never got the Blade Runner rights because that would have been a great you know mingling but you get you do get elements of that here and it is like I agree with you I can definitely see the priss there but it's also funny because you got broke ass Indiana Jones which I think is hilarious because how many guys even back in the 80s that was a cliche the guy who puts on a fedora and suddenly thinks there's some kind of a badass yeah but yeah what's funny here yeah. is this this billionaire is you know down his luck names willington frick and this is going to be his big score and he's got the media involved to help build himself back up again from you know dire straits and i you know it's it's pointed out that this is a, supposed to be a sex robot specifically but what's funny is even though she's othered through the uh, weird flesh tone she's othered on the cover uh, specifically objectified on the cover and they have that great shot where the alien rips her in half and she's got the little balls and stuff like 
Ash, so you're very conscious of the the otherness of this character. But she's never, even though she's she's uh, talked down to and she's mistreated and she's told to shut up and go go to response only mode and this kind of stuff. At no point does she ever actually sexualize within the story. And in fact, she is probably mm. the the best person in the team in terms of how she relates to other people, the the role that she serves, being beneficial to the members of the team, trying to save them essentially by explaining, well, this is what this thing says. They're like, shut up, bitch. You know, um, I, I definitely can feel the presence of Anina Bennett in this story because I think both the women have interesting perspectives and they're definitely the more sympathetic of the four characters presented, but most especially the one that is most dismissed, the one that isn't even considered to be a human and deserving of the most basic respects is a, the, one of the better characters in the, the story entirely. And, and I do think that's a, a point. Yeah. We see like some of the worst of men here, but obviously all the human characters are worse than this synthetic being that at least is trying to be the best version of itself and not just a synthesoid bimbo as one of the mercenaries refers to her. It's interesting because then then the other thing, I mean, I don't I don't know if this was in any original drafts or screenplays for Alien, but you, you mentioned how, you know, the broke ass Indiana Jones guy is this, you know, I guess basically washed up, you know, millionaire mogul or whatever. And I mean, that's there, there, there is something similar to the whole Charles Bishop arc in AVP as well, even though this is on a much smaller, you know, this, this is more of a, you know, EC short story, you know, the, the pyramid thing goes wrong and you, you get the gist of everything within these two little short chapters. Whereas, you know, they, they expand that into this whole feature film thing and try to, I don't know, they try to pull the whole thing where what Hammond from Jurassic Park is a sweet old man. Whereas I think in the Crichton novel, he's kind of like a, you know, a fuck stick, you know what I mean? Like where, where, where you're kind of like, Oh, well, you know, some of these things don't and the, line the up. Casting is going to impact who's on that. telling Just, the story, right? Yeah, the casting is going to impact on that. When you hire Richard Attenborough, it's hard not to like the guy. And again, with uh, right. ABP, you're 20 years out from you're 20 years out from Aliens, and you've got Lance Henriksen. You might as well take advantage of the warm and fuzzy feelings we're all feeling toward Lance Henriksen that may not have been in place for Alien Three, but are definitely in place by the time you get to AVP. Yeah, for sure. So Paquita Trotamundos, not Paquita of the Barrio, but Paquita the Globetrotter. What was your first experience with the Aliens property? You know what's a funny thing is that I do remember watching Aliens, for which is the second movie. I really didn't remember too much about the first one, and I never watched any of the other movies. It wasn't until recently, I would say in the last 10 years, I'm guessing, that I actually saw properly pay attention to the first Aliens movie and you liking being one of your favorites the aliens so I got more exposure to that one plus I do remember that one the most I think we watched aliens multiple times because it's a great movie but the first one I knew the basic of it but I didn't remember details on it so I saw it like 10 years ago which one is the one that is in the prison that's the third one alien 3 or alien cubed who was the director on that one David Fincher okay so I do remember 
you and I watched that movie. I think it was because you were trying to expose me of the movies before the comic convention that we... Yeah, when we went to the 30th anniversary in, at Comic Palooza. It's not a good movie, but it had the potential of being a great movie. Everything was there, but I don't know what is about it that it just went to shit. You're not a big Fincher fan anyway, though, right? I was about to ask you what other movies that he's uh, done. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I know you've seen... The with Daniel Craig? Yeah. I did like that one a little Fight bit. Fight Club. Uh, not too much about Fight Club. But seven. I, I did like Seven, yes. So not, not, a, not a fan, but not a detractor either. Exactly. It's not, because it's not my type of movies. This one is, like I say, had a great potential. It had a great visuals too, especially inside the jail. I don't know. It was something that is missing, and I cannot pinpoint to what it was missing. It was not catching my attention. I think it's the absence of the characters. You, you're not really drawn to any of the characters in the movie, so you, you're stuck with Ripley as the only POV character, the only character whose fate is of a concern to you, so I'm sure that's a problem with the movie. Yes, and I do remember that I only saw it once, and if you ask me right now what I like about that movie or don't like, or to give you details on that movie, I cannot feel the love for me. So is there any other movies besides that third one? I know there's the Aliens versus Predators. I have not watched any single one of them. I love the Predator 1 movie, the first one, but Aliens versus Predator, I don't like that crossover kind of situation, so I did not watch any single one. Now, if I remember correctly, you and I started watching Alien Resurrection. That was the one by the French director that's a little more audacious, had the main villain from The Crow. Okay. And I think at some point after he died, you lost all interest in the movie and you just never went back to it. If you are giving me a crappy movie that I only want interest of one character or one actor, then I'm going to stick and, and we, once you kill it, nothing else there to keep me there, right? So. Well, I think you literally said they killed the best character. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm done. That's it. And yeah, I don't have that many. And now I know there's comics. I learned that from you. I have not read any comics of it. Have you forgotten the ones we saw in the movie theater? We saw aliens in the movie theater? We saw two alien movies in the movie theater, yes. Oh, yes. Okay, so, well, but you're talking about Michael Fassbender, right? <laughs> you put Michael Fassbender at Popcorn, I'm gonna be there. Who cares if they're actually good movies or not? I have to say Prometheus. And what was the name of the second one? Alien Covenant. Prometheus, I liked it well enough. Sometimes I catch myself whenever they're showing it on TV, I leave it on. I don't want to say it's too much because of Fassbender because I, that hair is hideous. So it's not his best looks. Actually having archaeologists on Earth discovering like all these different constellations from different parts and then following that, going into space. I like that kind of movies. Now the second one. Oh, Michael Fassbender could not save that movie whatsoever. I think I only watched it once in the movie theater. I was so out of it. My brain just erased everything from that movie because I honestly do not remember the plot. What's the Michael Fassbender character's name in the David, movie? David, isn't it? David, yes. Do you remember? Well, he's the, actually, you get twice the Fassbender because he's in a dual role in that movie. It was a twist that you kind of see it coming a little bit. 
Uh, they were planning to make another one. They and were then... planning to. I think that they've given up on that because there was already uh, a, a resistance after Prometheus. There were people who, who really didn't care for that movie. And then the second movie was supposed to bring it more in line with the Aliens movies prior. And people pretty much hated that one too. And it sort of scuttled plans to continue. And now it's going to move to television. Noah Hawley is going to do a TV show for FX, as I recall. Okay. Like, I don't know what else you can expand on a TV show. We already touched a little bit on the origins and Prometheus. I think on the second one, they went a little bit more with the story. Alien, Aliens and the other Aliens 3, 4 whatever, Aliens versus Predator is more about the threat of the monster versus the human, the termite human. So we don't care too much about the origins of the alien itself or or anything is just going to be the perseverance of Ripley or the other characters. So, I mean, what else are they going to do that is just going to sound the same? Yeah, well, I guess they had the option of doing an internal reboot, but I wouldn't really welcome that. I'm not a fan <laughs> of retconning movies out of existence. So we'll, we'll see what happens. You said you saw Aliens before we were together, and that was the only one we saw before we were together. Yes, Aliens. I remember seeing it because I do remember the game over, man, game over, and the whole beginnings of... Of the Michelle Rodriguez character, <laughs> Vasquez. Her, her, you mean the foundation of her career arc, basically. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. So I do have more recollection of Aliens before we met. Now, the first one, no, I did not hardly have any recollection of it. Yeah. But you had seen it before we met, or you believe that it was after we got together? <sighs> I do believe that I saw it long, long time ago. I mean, that movie is like, what, late 70s? Yeah, I believe it's 79. And I maybe remember watching it on the movie theater but that movie you know when you're younger when when you're little I love horror movies but that's not the type of horror movies that I like when I was little so maybe that's why I just didn't it was too maybe too violent for me or too grotesque or too gory for my test so maybe that's why I didn't care for it much when I watched it as an adult I actually was more terrified and I have to say that Alien in sense of human horror the first Alien is more terrifying terrifying than the second one the aliens you have a crew in a ship there is so much limitation and that's one of the things that i hate about slasher movies is that pretty much you put them in an open field or like in a cabin in the woods and stuff like that an entire movie i'm just thinking it's like oh you should have done this you shouldn't done that do this i mean it's easier for somebody to do it in the couch right but for some reason their logic it just seemed comical there's so many options it's just ridiculous but alien you are in a very small ship in the middle of space. I can think of like five or six scenarios at sea. In space, once you get out of that ship, of that capsule, that's it. You're gone. Any damage inside that capsule, being the technology inside of it, you mess something up. The whole ship, the oxygen is gone. The heat is gone. There's so many things that can go wrong that you cannot just shoot blind. You cannot just like start chasing with the hatchet and just start like trying to hit it because then you're going to hit something that is going to make you die. So it doesn't matter what you do. Like you have to be smart. And the Aliens movie, they were more into like a planet, right? Like a... Yeah, it, it was like a planetoid. It was just a small planet or a small moon kind of situation. Yeah, so it is more to like they have more space to maneuver. They have the ducks. And although they have more aliens, but 
you have places where to hide. I mean, if uh, 10, 5, 6-year-old, like, nougat, newt, or whatever. <laughs> if newt actually was able to hide from aliens for, like, so many months. So there is so many options. So in terms of plot itself, I like the first one better. It, it is more my taste. Aliens is more fun because of the characters. But it's not more of my movie. It's, it's, it's that it's more violent, more aggressive, more gory. So it is just coming back to whatever, like a slasher movie. If you tell me to choose which one is the better movie, taking aside the heart, I will say Alien. And how do you feel about the character of Ripley? Hey, woman power. Because she was smart. She was strategically doing things. He wasn't a crying like, oh my God, I'm so delicate, but I'm going to succeed at the end. No, she was like a motherfucker almost since day one. She was the one to tell them. She was the one who tried to say, no, don't do this. Or, you know, she was the one that have the head to succeed. So it wasn't just the fucking machine guns, although at the end was kind of was that badass early on. So, yes, I love her character. And what do you think of the alien itself? I don't give him two rats at about Not into the design or anything like that? No, to be honest, no. They're not scary to me. Now, the face huggers, I will say that that's kind of like the one of the things that I might get shields. I have phobia of choking, not able to breathe. And just to think about having this face hugger in my face and not letting me breathe or, or just... Oh, and the... shoving a tube down your throat for the egg. Exactly. Yes. So that's pretty much my worst nightmares, like right there and just on that image. So I would say the actual big aliens, grown up aliens or the mother queen alien, I don't care. The huggers, those are the ones that I can get chills. So the story we're covering was originally printed in Dark Horse Presents fifth anniversary special released on March 26, 1991. And I inflated the price in a previous episode. It was actually only $9.95, although in $91, that was still considerable. But that was about five times what a normal comic book would cost that time period, four to five times. Uh, the book featured a number of stories about characters that have been featured in Dark Horse Comics, including a Martha Washington Give Me Liberty story by Frank Miller and Dave Gibbons, a concrete story by Paul Chadwick, The American by Mark Verhaden and Dougie Braithwaite, Roach Mill by Rich Hayden and Tom McWeenie, a story called Placebo, adapting a short by Andrew Vox with art by Klaus Jansen, The Black Cross by Chris Warner. What I thought was a little bold given the price is that it was The Aerialist Chapter 3 by Matt Wagner, but The Aerialist never seemed to amount to much of anything. It also featured the first episode of Sin City, a, a seminal work by Frank Miller. Also, a heartbreaker story called The Prologue by Nina Bennett and Paul Guinan, who would contribute to other Dark Horse Presents short stories involving the aliens. In that book was also the Aliens vs. Predator epilogue by Randy Stradley and Phil Norwood. The story was printed in black and white. It was colored for the Dark Horse Presents Aliens one-shot, which is how I was exposed to it. That was released on April 14, 1992 at half the price, $4.95. It seemed a little bit more reasonable to me at that time. It was square-bound, 48 pages. There was also a variant platinum edition with less color, so as, as I know the metallic inks are nice and all, but I would rather have the nice bright red logo. This was a fifth anniversary reprint collection of all the stories that had appeared in Dark Horse Presents featuring just the aliens, but not the crossover ones. It included the theory of alien propagation, the stories Advent and Terminus, which was essentially a two-parter, Reapers, and the alien, which we will cover at a later date. This was the first time all those stories had appeared in color. It was released the same month as Aliens Hive Number 3. It was written by John Arcudi with art by Simon Bisley. And you can tell us a story. Dark Horse Presents Fifth Anniversary Special Reapers. So I am suspecting that this green creature 
creatures that look like Martian Manhunter a little bit. Those are the Reapers. They start by going inside a chamber. As soon as they go inside, they start getting these creatures, the actual aliens. It is aliens. Which which aliens are you talking about? What is the actual name of the uh, aliens? The story is Reapers. For the purposes of the podcast, just for clarity, we're going to refer to them as Reapers. It's never been clarified whether the green creatures are the Reapers or the larger creature that's going to appear later in the story. But it's going to be easier if we just refer to the green creatures as Reapers. And again, I want to point out that this story was originally in black and white. Okay. Wow. Black and white. I think what it adds more to the story is the colors itself. I cannot imagine looking at this in black and white. As it is, I have to actually pass through this book at least three or four times to kind of make sense a little bit. They're pretty humanoid. Uh, they look like Martian Manhunter, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And and they have, like, especially the main, I'm guessing what is the main character. It does look like the facial for morphs. The... I suppose they've got a simian head. It looks sort of like mandrels or something. Yes. So they go inside this chamber, what I'm supposed to say is a chamber, and the aliens, the actual aliens, uh, they start uh, attacking them. They have heavy machinery. They suffer some casualties. On one of the biggest panels for the story, goes this the main boss like the main monster yeah and again very difficult to tell what's going on there in the black and white version i assume that it was a giant's version of one of those reapers but when colored that sort of purplish gray color i guess that was meant to be an alien queen but it doesn't look like the xenomorph queen from the movies so i am not at all oh and it eats one of the face huggers right yes it does eat one of the reapers and then we can call it for the queen alien for lack of better term well maybe it's a drone produced by bursting out of one of the reapers i don't know what the fuck that is below this massive alien monster they do have some egg in there so is that normal that regular uh a, a, a alien queen mother would have eggs that they'd be laying eggs so yeah so that indicates that this one is an actual queen mother because of the eggs it's only like eight pages and they're silent and yet it's damn near indecipherable what the fuck is going on well except for the people Womk! Yeah, they actually put in sound effects even though it was a painted comic book. Mm -hmm. uh, Bisley kind of graffitied in sound effects for clarity, I suppose. Yeah, so one of the Reapers that start pointing out at the X below the big monster, and then one of them that I'm guessing is the main one because it is uh, one of the first ones that showed up, although they are very similar to each other, so it's kind of distinguished. So one of them is start ripping the egg. At first, I thought he was about to eat it because it's just kind of showing it with with his face very close to the egg so i thought is he gonna eat it but then one of those uh, small aliens start popping the out of the hugger. egg yes the face hogger pop out out of there and the reaper actually eats that he has like a greeny like a grinding face like a smiling kind of face looking yeah, at the yeah, egg they're lipless right they have a, a perpetual grimace essentially their teeth are perpetually showing yeah but this is the first panel that they actually show some kind of smiling green what I'm guessing is because he actually is happy to see the egg and then whenever the face hugger pops out of the egg, on the next panel, he's actually crunch, crunch. He's eating it. And yeah, to these aliens, the xenomorph face huggers are sort of like popcorn shrimp seemingly. Yes, so, and then one of the last panels in that sense, he's actually getting his tongue out. Hmm, delicious. Licking his lips, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Finish with that and it seems that they are carrying the 
them removing a bunch of eggs and then put them in like in like in backpack and sacks harvesting, and stuff. Harvesting, I would say. Harvesting, yeah. And then on the very last panel, and this is what I have to go back like three or four times because I was so confused on the last panels. You see like a market where there's reapers, creatures, and they have like a little reapers and they have a merchant, moms buying and stuff like that. And what they seems to be a bunch of eggs, like alien eggs. And then you see like in the in the background like all these reapers the ones that just came back from battling this big alien bringing the eggs so i'm guessing that that's what they do like they actually extract the eggs because apparently that's a delicacy i have to say the one of the things that kind of tripped me off of this picture of the market is that you have like this little reaper just pointed out and it looks kind of scared kind of like look look and i thought it's like wait are they attacking in there too but then no i realized that he's pointing at the reaper that just came back from the eggs kind of saying like look fresh eggs or something like that so yeah so that's the story so i want to read you a quote it's from an interview that originally appeared in blast magazine which is from the uk i used to have that magazine i no longer do what i have is it being reprinted by special permission for wizard magazine number three so this is 1991 mm -hmm. it's an interview with the artist simon bisley and i believe this would have been before he painted this piece he was working on the Batman and Judge Dredd crossover, they came up with the idea of crossovers between properties. And so Bisley says, things like that are what comics are all about. Team-ups are great fun. I don't know about the aliens versus predator thing though. Those aliens should have kicked the living crap out of the predators. The aliens are pure death. I was really disappointed with the way they were done in the second film and in the comics. Well, maybe the group that was sent in into getting, I mean, the group, maybe that was a badass and Ripley, she's a pretty badass person. I mean, but even here, you can see in that story the one that we just discussed is that they have this massive on aliens too it's not that they actually fight a mother alien yeah they introduce the alien mother queen in the second movie yeah so and it looks really lethal you know and it's just like it took Ripley a lot of her to actually battle and win so and for this guys just to go in and remove the eggs and it's just I mean yeah they suffer some casualty too but they seem that they've been doing it a lot because they do have on the last panel for the market they do seem that they have a lot of eggs so that means that yeah they can just go in and out so maybe this guys they're more lethal than the aliens yeah you know? it's almost as though these aliens are as lethal as Bisley perceived the proper xenomorphs to be yes so yeah so I, I man I, and I, I, I cannot once again imagine this book in black and white it blows my mind. So what did you think about Reapers? It's one of those things where you, I mean, there's not much to say about it. The art is beautiful and it's this little clever, clever John Byrne story, you know, like, I mean, it, it it's like you've, you've got the guys that come in, they, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I think the coloring kind of does it some injustice, right? Like, or disservice, you know, because I don't know that that queen is like hulking and purple or whatever. But I mean, aside from that, like the, the, the black and white like you come in there are these kind of weird you know i don't know corbin-y busily looking dudes or whatever these aliens and then the twist is like the when the the chestburster comes out they go on their face the guy eats it like it's a, a delicacy and then and then it cuts to like you know the these guys grocery store where they've got you know cartons of fucking alien eggs and they they sell them off to little kids and moms and dads and, and families and shit so it's it's you know i mean ultimately my take away from
from it is. I mean, it's it's that whole, uh, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn, there's always a bigger fish, you know, or whatever. And that's, I mean, I, I don't know what more to say about it is. I mean, it's probably of the three you shared with me, it's probably my favorite, but I don't, I don't have a whole hell of a lot to say about it. It's, it's, it's clever, clever. It's funny. And it has a effective twist. And, and that's, you know, I mean, the, the funny part would be, I think, or, or maybe the, I think a mistake would be to like, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Xenopedia has like a whole file on those fucking guys. But like, I almost kind of don't want to know anything more about those guys other than they eat alien egg chestbursters as like, you know, appetizers. And that's it. Like, I, I don't want to know their backstory. I don't want to know that they like once, you know, had an adventure with the, uh, the, the, the engineers and, and, and did all this other, like, I don't care about any of that. Like, it's just, it's a, it's a fun little short and that's, that's all there is to it. They're definitely concept breakers. So if this were a superhero universe that's ever expanding and they, as you say, there's always a bigger fish then they, there'd be room for those creatures. But within the more realistic rounded milieu of the Aliens franchise, you can never reference Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the, you know, a good, good right, joke, they're, move they're on. The carnage to the Aliens Venom. They're the species 8427 to the Borg. I mean, that that's that's what that is. And it's just this, this little fun, jokey joke thing. And that's, yeah, like I said, that's that's the end of it. I mean, the the, the art's really beautiful, and and uh, and it's you know it, it's a twist, and it's it's funny. So you know that's that's about it. The next story is going to be Countdown. It was in the magazine Dark Horse Insider. This was an eight-page black-and-white monthly newsletter. It was a giveaway sold in bundles of 100 for $5. The first issue was dated July 1989 and previewed both the second Aliens miniseries and the first Predator miniseries. The third issue previewed Aliens vs. Predator. We're looking at issue 14, cover dated September 1990, which began the 14-part Aliens Countdown story. It continued until the October 1991 cover dated number 27 over a year later. This will also prove the penultimate issue before the magazine took a month off and switched to being a comic-sized edition, which is the one I'm familiar with. I never saw these newsletters in the comic shops. I didn't have comic shop access during the time that this was running anyway. Did you ever see the Dark Horse Insider tabloids? I don't think so. Do you remember the comic size version? Yeah, I think so. The problem is with a lot of this alien stuff, the covers look all the same, dude. <laughs> it, it's the aliens logo, really large, with whatever the story is, slightly smaller underneath in the exact same font with an alien on the cover. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking back 20 plus years, I'm not sure if I would just seen the same thing over and over again or if this was what I saw. Not sure. I have the same problem with Spawn. After the first few years, every cover is a pinup shot of Spawn and it's like trying to tell one issue from another gets pretty difficult. For the anniversary of Spawn, I was going to try to do a countdown of the, the various covers and I just got bogged down with how samey it all was. And Aliens is very much the same situation because they, and Predator also, is because they emphasize the creature as opposed to the humans. It's mostly pinup shots of the creature doing stuff in the darkness. It's It becomes very rote after a while. Oh, you mean that spawn cover with the cape and the chains? Right. Yeah. So this is a, you know, the, the aliens cover where they're coming out of the darkness with their jackhammer jaws dripping saliva. I mean, it, look, it, great imagery, but I mean, it, 
like I said, thinking back, it, it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. It's mostly here's how memories. Arthur Saddam draws an alien. Here's how Kelly Jones draws an alien. Here's how Sam Keith draws an alien. Now, that's the main differentiation is who's doing it. So when you have somebody like a Dave Dorman that did a bunch of covers, it gets more and more difficult to determine. Okay, well, which one was this? Which series was this? What story was this? So did you ever read any of the Aliens comics when they were coming out? I don't think so. Yeah, I I, 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 the only stuff I really even tossed through would have been crossover stuff like Aliens Predator or any of the Batman stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was mostly just the novelty of seeing the two of them interacting in the same space but not feeling compelled to actually read the things. Correct. We're both new coming into this. I literally read it for the first time last night. I read it in my Omnibus edition. These are some of the rarest Alien stories probably because they were printed in a newspaper essentially. Unlike a lot of Alien stories they've never been colored and they were never printed by Dark Horse Comics in the U.S. properly aside from as the newsletter. They made these mini comics one of which was polybagged with an issue of the UK Aliens magazine and the other one was bound in. It's black and white and it's kind of muddy. It's a little hard to actually see what's going on and even in the edition that they have in the omnibus they didn't do anything with it that really helped make it more visually clear. It's actually weird because some of the pages they reprint as more of a gray and then other ones they really kick up the contrast and make them very dark rich blacks but all that does is give a sense of inconsistency for me this was kind of a frustrating read as a result it was just hard to see what the fuck was going on yeah and i think uh i mean i don't know if we want to talk about this now or not but but also the the artist it's he doesn't really differentiate between the different characters in the book that well to me so the fact that it's muddy i'm having a hard time determining who is talking and who is not talking and who's the narrator and it was a little it was a little muddy because this was put out in single page and i think at least one instance is a double page installment there is sort of like this herky-jerky, somebody's riding the clutch kind of quality to the story. Just to let folks know too, Countdown is by Dark Horse Comics publisher Mike Richardson, and it's drawn by Din Boves, who did the 1989 Aliens miniseries. But whereas that one was in color, this one's in black and white. But what's weird is he started out doing black and white for Warlock 5, and then he switched to color for Aliens and, and covers and other things going forward. But you'd think he'd have had a familiarity with black and white printing because of his background in that area. But I don't get that here and I have to assume he was painting in black and white because why wouldn't you have reproduced the material in color if it existed in color? Like a lot of the problems I had with the Aliens miniseries are just worse here you know uh, and it, like you said I telling the characters apart what there's a narrator and basically you have the narrator and everybody else it seems like any one of those people could have been the narrator it would have made a big, diff- big difference to me. Yeah I will say that for, for the story it doesn't really matter either. <laughs> Do you want to tell folks roughly what happens in this one? Yeah so it is like you said a very quick story of three marines one nicknamed silk she's the girl we have tom and then i think the third person is unnamed right the narrator is unnamed he apparently the- is named because they had it up on xenopedia but until i saw it on xenopedia i don't think i caught it either because they kept throwing out odd random names here and there phil sandberg is apparently the narrator and i guess you picked that up from one person saying phil at some point and somebody saying sandberg at another point but i, I don't remember those particular points so for all i know it was like in the solicitation copy or something there's a guy who talks there's a guy who doesn't talk, and then there's a lady. Yeah, yeah. well, talks is in we have the inner monologue mm-hmm. throughout the whole time. We'd been told that our situation was hopeless, that we might as well kiss the world we knew goodbye. Some of us weren't about to give up so easily. It was Silk's idea to check the building out. She figured the company was somehow involved in bringing the creatures to Earth, and we might find some answers there. Tom agreed. Me? I was there because that's what I was trained for, and because I wanted to kill as many of the aliens as I could before they got me. What happened to me didn't matter much anyway. I was living on borrowed time. And that's, that's basically the theme of this. What is it? 
what is this total? Eight pages or something like that? Uh, I think it's actually twice that. I think it's uh, 15 pages. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's it's these, these three Marines on a planet that's sort of just being chucked away. They, they I, th- I think it's actually the planet Earth because I want to say that this is, is taking place during the time frame of the Mark Verhaden stories. Uh, so Earth has been overrun because of the stuff that was done by that corporation that was playing around with them. And Earth has essentially been abandoned. And the people that are still there in a very Blade Runner kind of turn, they're the leftovers. They're the ones that weren't considered good enough to be taken off world and are basically abandoned and are stuck with the remains. Exactly. So in this opening page, they find one person. And they, they said there's biosignatures all over the building. So they're like, it's either a hive or we got, you know, like survivors in here. And they find this dude and he's blown his own brains out. And just before committing the suicidal act has started a thermonuclear detonation that's going to self-destruct and destroy everything within hundreds and hundreds of miles. And I want to say that was in the first miniseries. So I, I think this is the same corporation. And I don't know if they ever showed the detonation. I think they mentioned it without showing it. So I think that they're confirming that that, well, we'll, we'll, we don't want to spoil a very slight twist. Well, no, who cares? It, ultimately, the detonation doesn't occur. So you're what you're dealing with this countdown clock where they're racing to try to get to safety within the building, but the, the it never actually blows up. Yep. They come across packs of aliens. They come their uh, their vehicle is shot by like a bunch of rogue marauders. Yeah, they call uh, them mercenaries, but you have to be hired by somebody to be a mercenary. So I think it's more like they're scavengers and it's the poorly chosen words. But also what's funny is when I was reading it in the omnibus, a couple of pages stuck together and I was already having trouble with the, the lack of flow from page to page. But then it was like, wait, I'm they're, they're referring to shit that I must have missed and I had to go back and find that page. It didn't have a huge impact though because I went several pages beyond before I realized I must have missed something. Uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, th- these marauders, nobads, try and capture them. They're trying to explain like, we gotta get out of here. And they're like, you know, shut your pie hole. Then they manage to escape there. They go down into a building. They come across a queen. And they're just like, it's just nonstop alien carnage left and right. Now they're being chased. They go back up top side. They run into a police officer who worked with them. Not worked with them, but worked, you know, with the Marines. So he was a friendly. Well, he basically, uh, he recognized the Marines authority where he also saw the scavengers for what they were and uh, blew them out, managed to blow them out of the sky. Correct. It's weird because as far as I can tell, he didn't have any sort of enhanced weaponry for the security. So I don't know how he managed to down this craft they were in or kill off all the guys who were there. And I'm wondering why he isn't the star because he's a lot more effective than anybody else in the story. If he managed to knock out all the, the marauders, mercenaries, whatever you want to call them. But he's the one who tells them that there is an underground bunker they can go hide in. Now he's got to go leave. He's going to go into town and tell people what's going to happen so that they can do their best to try to get out in time. And I guess the reason why the Marines don't follow him is because he's probably braced doom. He probably recognizes they're not going to be able to get to a minimum safe distance in time. And he's not willing to just go hide. He's going to, just like he's doing now while he's continuing to defend the base despite the fact that all the humans are dead at this point. I guess he's also trying to defend his community even though they're all essentially going to be dead very soon anyway. I also wondered how much community there is because I'm sure there's been a lot of overflow of aliens into the community from this base. Especially if it's Earth during the infestation. He's probably going to go off and die and they try to make their way to the underground bunker, but they end up coming across another hive and they're getting taken down. In particular, Silk gets taken out and she was the one who was like the most effective of them. And she's not shown to die, but since she's knocked out and they're surrounded by aliens, it doesn't look good for her. As they're counting down, they eventually realize that they would have already run out of time and the bomb never went off. That's what they're like, wait a second, it should have gone off. And then they were, they start questioning, are we dead? Is this hell? Are we in hell? And it's like, eh, I don't think the bomb went off. One of the, the, the guy who's not the narrator is... Tom. Tom. 
severed. His head gets severed by an alien tail, as best I can tell. His head gets ripped off at the mouth, but it's not super clear what caused it. I assume it's the whipping tail. The narrator says multiple times, me, I'm on borrowed time anyway, or I don't have much time anyway. You know, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm running out of time. And it's just like, yeah, this dude's totally got a, a chest burster in him. As the team is getting consumed by aliens, he pulls out his insurance policy. And- he had a bomb with him. So as an alien chest burster was coming out of him, which was not a twist because we didn't see that coming, you've never seen an alien thing in your life. That couldn't have been more telegraphed. Detonates the whole thing. If not the whole base, at least a chunk of the base to take out the aliens that were there with him. And clearly he would have taken Silk out too. So everybody's dead by the end of this, essentially. So I think this would have been a nice bonus for a free giveaway magazine. Was it intended to be collected? It generally wasn't collected. I think there's a reason for that. It's fine. It's okay. It's uh, like uh, one of the old horror magazines with the little wannabe twist ending. It's fine for what it is, but it's also extremely inconsequential. Yeah, but I feel like this is something that, <laughs> like not to shit on an image book, I feel like this is the kind of thing that if this was like a Cyber Force book, they would have made it a four-issue miniseries out of this mm-hmm. much content. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I was like, well, I was very happy that this was only, you know, just a few pages over two mini-issues, and I'm like, yeah, this is how long this should take. This should not take that long. We don't need to get to know all of the characters deeply and what's motivating them. We don't need to know why Silk's there still sticking around. You know, we, we don't need to know this. We, well, it's, it, it's funny because you've got enough characterization for a one-off story, a short story, but as you noted, that was the extent of the characterization for a lot of Chromium Age characters that were supposed to be headlining ongoing series and shit. What do you think about the art outside of what we've already talked about? It's a, how it's a little muddy, but just because of the... I think the, the things that people liked about uh, Bovace's miniseries are still present. It definitely evokes the feel, particularly of Cameron's Aliens. I think that it has that you get that uh, familiarity is, is I think what's attractive about it. I personally don't find him to be a particularly good storyteller. He doesn't differentiate characters. There's a lot of hacky workarounds and stuff. Lots of solid blacks. Makes it way easier to you know knock this stuff out quickly and easily. Uh, so for me, when I look at it, I feel like it's pretty lazy and I, I'm frustrated by my difficulty in following the action on the page. But I also get why people would like his stuff. I'm just, I'm not that big of a fan though. So I'm with you. The storytelling was an issue, but I think that was a combo issue. I think this was as much the writer's fault as it was his fault. You don't ever have the lead character talk, so you don't ever get to see the word bubble come out of his mouth to mm-hmm. know that he's the, the narrator. You just know that he's not Silk because that's the girl. Like yeah. the other, you, you're not really, really sure which the other two guys is him. I, I think if he had some speaking lines, this would clear up some stuff. But his Xenomorphs are fantastic, dude. I mean, he, he's drawing the movie Xenomorphs. I mean, it's, I think he did really great. No artistic license on them, which maybe you can kind of cap on him a little bit for that, but anything having to do with Xenomorphs in this book looked fantastic. Well, and I think that's part of what people love about him is that they want to see him accurately represent the weapons, the aliens, the the armor, and he does do that. He definitely does painstaking research to make sure he's as accurate as possible in representing what we saw in the movies. Yeah, but I mean, like even when they're blowing up, he does really great like lighting effects around it. So he did a great job. It was better than I was expecting when I when I saw the total page count between these two, I was not expecting much at all, but uh, I thought it was pretty good, man. But again, stories a little hard to follow. And again, that's the second issue, at least uh, from what I'm reading, where it's like really, really dark blacks, like you said, where the contrast is bumped up. It's like nearly all black ink, right? Like, so I I definitely see the criticisms more in the second issue than the first issue that's more the grayish tone. Yeah. Well, Uh, part of that's a reproduction, too, because you're looking at the mini comics and the UK books weren't really known for their quality of reproduction, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The panels where the tail is whipping through that guy's head is freaking gnarly. 
gnarly. When the chest burster comes out of the narrator's chest, it's gnarly. It kind of surpassed my expectations a bit. So I, I, was, like I was the covers. They were they were both reproductions, but one was a little scene piece. I think it was a tipped in plate in one of the hard covers or something. The other one was a reproduction from the second miniseries. What'd you what'd you think about seeing that work in color? I think, they're, I think they're both nice. The more I look at the second one, it's a little less detailed than I thought it was originally. But just because there's like body parts flying everywhere from the explosion. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the actual body parts, there's not really anything to write home about. No, I think they're fine. I feel like you're going to have opinions on Countdown. You, you know what? You know what? Like Countdown, like I, I feel like because I never read that before either. Right. Because I, I told you like my Dark Horse Presents kind of thing was spotty. And I think I think this had nothing to do with Dark Horse Presents, but it was like some kind of UK publication so like it's almost like this missing short story that somehow ties into you know I quote unquote my favorite you know Dark Horse Aliens miniseries but it feels like kind of like an irrelevant story and I feel like in those audio adaptions I was listening to that were done on YouTube those fan audiobooks like I think they covered this and it's like I think the novel must have incorporated this into it because I felt like I heard the same three you know it's like I, you know, I don't pay attention to the guys' names, but it's like there's three people, and in this one, one of them, the girl's name's Silk, and whatever, and you know. But then I think later in that, there's another three people that come in and see those three people. So it's like the whole, um, you know, the 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 what the James Carpenter's the thing, and then there's the prequel where it takes place before it. So it's like, I mean, if you want to be like super impressed whether things line up or not, like I guess you can. But I mean, you know, the the I I don't know. It just it just felt like I mean. I, I guess it works because it, it's just supposed to be a short that came with this magazine. So it's like it's like you're not missing anything from the story if you've never, ever read it like I never have. But I guess maybe it's supposed to be like this frosting, extra frosting or sprinkles or some shit on the cake that like if you have read it, you're like, oh, cool. I know what happened, you know, to three other assholes before the other three assholes came in the front door there and did did their thing, you know, like that. That was again, like like not. Not, not really insightful, not a whole lot to say, but I mean, it, it just it just seemed like it was one of these, it, you know, it, it's a bonus. It's a it's a side story. And, and it's it's you're not, you, you know, you, you're not missing anything super important if you've if you've never read it. And and it could be a nice little, you know, extra, you know, I don't know, boon for you if you you're like, hey, I know about that story and it, it ties in or whatever. But other than that, I don't. I mean, I I don't know that I see a whole lot of you know it, you know it, it, it's it, it's definitely never going to be up there and like oh this this is like my favorite alien story ever you know it was just kind of like okay it's just some some extra extra stuff that that to me ultimately is you know it's kind of irrelevant you know like it, it's it's like telling I don't know you know it's it's I don't know to to me it, it's almost like those those sequels and prequels and sidequels and whatever that to The Walking Dead you know. Like, it's kind of like, yeah, we know they all get eaten by zombies. Like, let's let's move the fuck on. You know, like that's I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe that's that's like not um, that, that's probably not the best thing. Like, if you're supposed to be like, oh, this is an aliens podcast, rah, rah, rah. But I just I, I just feel like that that particular story just seems like excessively irrelevant. It's definitely self-aborting. You are introduced to a group of characters that are all dead at the end. And uh, it's worth noting the exact same thing happens. They're, they're basically these are yeah. two of the same story. They're the specific story circumstances are different but it's it's almost the same number of people 
Uh, a little bit more gender equality, but not really because Belle is taken out fairly quickly. So it's two guys and a girl. They, they go into a place they shouldn't have. They all get killed. And then uh, that, you know, nothing that happens matters in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah, unless the actual story mechanics really grab you, there's just there's not a lot to it. And, and especially if you're looking at the broader universe, it is a trifle. Yeah. I mean, there's 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 I mean, there's no kind way to put that. You know, it's just it's just kind of like if you if, if, if you've never seen it and you do like the the Aliens miniseries as much as I do. I mean, it's it's the same art, right? Like you can you can kind of. Uh, bask in the glow of that and kind of go, oh, this is nice. I mean, you know what's what's weird about that, and maybe why I'm so quick to dismiss it though is I, I think, unless I'm mistaken, like that that's always been in black and white. Like no one's ever colorized this story, have they? That's right. For some reason, this one was just abandoned. It never got into any of the Dark Horse omnibuses. Um, it, it, and it, it, the only time it, it was it was in a, the newspaper that Dark Horse put out, and they did reprint it in many comics in the UK. But the first time it was available in the United States, because uh, I think the the UK magazine was available to order if I remember okay. correctly out of preview. Okay. So that might have been a way for people in the States to get it, even though the magazine was specifically for the newsstands in the UK. I think the specialty markets still had access to it in the US. But aside from those mini comics, and like no matter what, it's a bad presentation. If it's on uh, newsprint, the cheapest newsprint, uh, that's not going to be a good representation of the artwork and it's produced for that particular venue. If you do it as a mini comic that's not a great presentation and even giving getting in the omnibus like i got it they weren't able i guess because of the nature of the art they weren't able to really make it consistent looking some pages are gray some pages are black it's rough looking so even in the most optimal presentation it still comes up a bit short um so it is this weird little curiosity off the side uh, not much missed seemingly either even though you know people like yourself are, are really big fans of that particular artist's interpretation of the aliens universe but even taking that into account it's not the best yeah. example of his work on i mean it's the, not the it's not in color it doesn't it, it like you say the presentation doesn't doesn't really hold up very well so i yeah it's i it, it, it's almost like one of those things where it's kind of you can see why it wasn't followed up on why it's 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 somewhat easily dismissed and you think you would have at least gotten into if i recall correctly they did the 30th anniversary oversized uh, fancy hardcover edition of the 89 miniseries you'd think that that'd be a natural place to put that story but it, uh, once again dark horse gave it a pass and instead i think they printed earth war in that one as well mm. instead of continuing with the bovet stuff so uh, that was yeah. a choice uh, I don't know if Mike Richardson wasn't happy with his writing on it, or it, again, maybe it was just the production issues. But yeah, if somebody chose not to have that uh, back in print after what ninety three or whatever was the last time that thing it was in print before today. I wonder if it's like one of those things, like like sometimes they have these, like in Gundam, Tamino has like an episode where it never aired in the states because he's embarrassed by the animation quality and presumably some of the the story points or whatever. So instead of having like all 43 episodes like in the states we only got 42 episodes because he's sort of i don't know like you know it's it, to him it's like the star wars holiday special or some shit like he wants it buried and forgotten like i wonder if if mike richardson felt this or, or you know somebody like in that you know 
position of authority to do something like that kind of went ah this is this is like a this is a he-man comic in the back of the package like this is embarrassing like we don't we, we don't need this like let's sweep this shit under the rug or something like i, I don't know maybe maybe that's kind of what's going on here yeah i started off with the best of intentions and 14 months later we're just wrapping this shit up <laughs> yeah terminus features zorn on the cover another cool image that's reflected in the interiors as far as the resolution of zorn's interaction with the aliens dark horse presents number 43 was uh, according to mike's amazing world of comics released on july 1st 1990 which means that it was three months late and at first i was like well maybe there's a, a mess out and mike's isn't always perfectly uh, on the dot but if you look at month to month outlanders the uh anime or sorry manga reprint series that was coming out at the same time they managed to get their issues out like they're supposed to and where the, and that gap is uh, not accounted for with dark horse presents so i guess it maybe did run really really late uh the same month was avp number zero the collected edition of the dark horse presents uh, prelude stories a one shot for Duckman, uh, one of those forgotten properties of the 90s animation wise the first issue of hard boiled and the predator trade paperback in this issue we have the one page story by guy davis titled the dawn of angst we have the story the tale of yakub and the vulture by sam and a and another chapter of the argozi by bruce zick what do we think about the idea of the mercenary character emil zorn who is apparently a cyborg and it's like part human part synthesoid is that have we ever seen that in any of the aliens media the the, the popular media or is this a comic book thing uh, the, the only thing I can think of is, and you've, you've done a really good job at covering a lot of these. Cause I, I don't think these were at the forefront of my mind, but now that you've been talking about them, the, the thing I immediately think of is he's a, he's a Kenner toy. You know what I mean? Like he's, he, he's, he, he's got that extra, you know, Ooh, look, this colonial Marine has a silver arm and, and has these extra, you know, mechanoid parts to, to fight the, the, the aliens, you know, type thing. I mean, I mean, it's not it's not the same you know it's not a one for one conceptually but i mean it it, it I, I feel like it it's not completely unheard of that you're you're thinking about i don't know fortifying your your uh security detail with people that have mechanized you know increased strength or or what have you when when you're going on these kinds of expeditions not that they know they're going to run into aliens in this story but i mean certainly in the you know the kenner toy line storyline you know they're they're totally like we're colonial, we're the colonial marines, you know. We're gonna go out and 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 uh, mess up some aliens or whatever. So that that seems to be something that is, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't know. This this must be a precursor to that, but I think it's there. I mean, I I kind of I kind of feel like that character does things that you, you might consider in terms of uh, I don't know. For for me, it was the easiest one to put myself in the shoes of in terms of a choose your own adventure. You know, like where you're like sitting there kind of going like, oh, like, like, w wouldn't you try to fight off the alien? Like, wouldn't you try to, you know, uh, uh, you know, stop it from, you know, and, 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 and I don't know, like, it makes me think of like, I, I, you know, the end sequence basically where he's like, you're not so fucking tough, you know? And then, and then, you, you know, obviously if you're, if you're a member of the audience and you're, you're, you're steeped in alien lore, you, you know, what's coming once he, he cracks open the alien and the blood squirts all over him but he just thinks he's you know like hey like you know it, it's that kind of thing like where you're like oh like who gives a shit about jaws like i'll just punch it in the fucking nose but then you punch jaws in the nose and it turns out it's got like 
like, you know, acid for blood and your fucking hand like melts off, you know, and, and it's just like that's just another another facet in in this lore where you 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 have this overwhelming sense of machismo get obliterated by the xenobiology, I guess. I don't know. Like it's just just one of those things where, you know, you, you if you if you I don't know if you had somebody with like super duper prep time, right? Like, yeah, you could probably come up with something. But in that heat of the moment thing, like you're, you're it's kill or be killed and then you try to kill. But guess what? This thing is biologically designed so that even if you kill it, you're going to end up getting killed as well. Well, they did a nice job with letting you know this is the only ever survivor of an alien chest burster. And even though they, they were able to replace his torso, he was like, no, I want you to replace all my limbs. So I'm only 15% human and set up this ultimate badass situation just like they did in Aliens where, as you know, that means you're just going to get fucked that much harder and they're going to show just how little you can do against the aliens once it actually comes to. Um, I wonder how porous the uh, the membrane was between, ha- was it Hasbro or Kenner? Anyway, I think it was Kenner. Between the toy company and Dark Horse, since Dark Horse was the ones who were actually producing the comics, and certainly when you look at G.I. Joe and Transformers, the comic book crea- uh, end of it did have a lot of impact and influence on what was done with the toys, but also it might have just been the environment, because as we mentioned, Blade Runner would have been an obvious antecedent to this. Terminator would have been an obvious antecedent. So whether they were taking directly from this the Dark Horse influence being right there producing their comic books, or it was just the times, it makes sense. But I also like that with Zorn, he's very much that performative misogyny, that performative machismo. Reminding me of like um, Andrew Clay. I I feel like this character is a commentary Mm. on a lot of those 80s swaggering assholes that were, if anything, becoming more outsized going from the 80s into the 90s and, and making a big fuss about how tough they were and how they weren't going to be talked down to and back talk and all this kind of bullshit you know uh, he's like Johnny Regressive over here and uh, I think there's a that's the point of him being in the story in the first place they're setting him up to be somebody major and then just knocking him right the fuck down again because he's no better than anybody else when it comes to a confrontation with the aliens no matter how well armed or mechanically armed he is yeah and it's 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 different from say a character like Ripley right like it, it's you know that that's something where they they you know she's forced she has no other choice but to go back and and face her fear and revisit the aliens again but this this guy i don't know it just seems like you know i don't know if it was me right like and you were and you were a survivor of that you you might you know have a second thought about you, you know i don't know it just seems like you know again like like you're talking about that whole kind of it, it's like machismo to the point of stupidity right like that that it's like it, you know to me i mean yeah it's like there there might be a, a call and a place for for some of that in in this kind of environment but then w- basically when it leads you to your death like that's that's when it's kind of like okay this is ridiculous right like it, it, it's you know if he was just hanging back and blowing guys away and staying away from the acid blood then then you'd be fine but you know it's like that you know he's not he's not all that in a bag of chips right like he, he he gets you know crept up on there's too many of them and then and then he's sitting there wrestling with it you know and and it's you know i mean obviously that's that's the wrong move you know 
Well, I'm sure he has that chosen one syndrome. He's the one survivor. And so to him, that means there's something special about him. And it's not just a matter of dumb luck. Uh, it just feeds into his pre-existing ego. And as you pointed out, well, instead of learning the lesson of, of having gotten suckered by a face hugger and, uh, you know, produced the chest burster and somehow by some fluke surviving, he doesn't learn from the lesson. He repeats the same mistakes and he's fucked for it. So again, it's just all yeah. about uh, that hubris. Yeah. And then, and then I think, you know, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably no secret, right? Like no, no one survives this expedition. Like they all backstab one another, you know, whether it's, you know, you, you start with the, you know, the synth babe, who's like one of the first casualties to get ripped apart. And then, you know, you've got Zorn, right. But then it's like, you've, you've got what, what Wellington Frick, you know, uh, you know, is, is trying to pull a Burke and get out of there scot-free. But then the, the camera woman's disgusted by it and, and, and and smacks him on the head, right? But I mean, she's kind of just as bad, right? And 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 then she ends up making it back to the ship. And the notion is she won't be able to take off of the ship anyway. But there's an alien waiting for her. So it, it does to me have that very you know that that EC horror kind of vibe where it's like everyone you know gets their comeuppance. And there's even that whole weird cyclical ending where some other ship lands and is like, well, these guys don't want to share. We can take care of them, you know. And it's just like well it's almost like you're like here we go again like like all these guys on this other ship think they're the special ones and 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 they're gonna you know get something out of this this lost pyramid they're gonna get their treasure but instead all they're gonna find is death and and betrayal and treachery right like so you know it it, it just seems like that's that that's one of those things where you know it, it does have that you know i don't know easy horror night gallery twilight zone like whatever whatever you want to say like it, it it's got that kind of ending where you're like, oh, this is just going to keep happening until, uh, you know, I don't know, until somebody smarter and less uh, less greedy comes along. It's a definite indication that there's nothing new under the sun because, as you pointed out with this story, and we've seen it in other uh, stories uh, related to aliens, the EC influence, but also they're raiding an Egyptian temple. This is going back to the mummy, and you see it in Prometheus too, though. So it's new takes on things we've been through before. It's funny to see these novel takes and also the more divorced we are from the original point of origin somebody who was watching Prometheus in what was it 2009 or whatever wouldn't necessarily recognize the influence of Boris Karloff movies from the 30s but you see this midpoint here and it's much more overt I, I don't ever fret for coming up with more alien stories and more takes on aliens that we haven't seen before if we're going to do like a TV series or something because there's never a finite amount of stories there's all, it, there's all the stories in the world to draw from and remix you can always find some new angle some new influence but ultimately there isn't really anything new you just you go digging for a thing that people have forgotten about or haven't done anything with for a while and that's where your novelty comes from is is the the forgotten angle the, the reviving of something that you know, nobody remembers their history so you take full advantage of that creatively you're talking about the color earlier and your preferences for color like i like uh, the first miniseries in black and white it was as it was intended by its creators i think that despite very much having that Turner Classic Movies uh, turn, uh, Turnerization look to it. You need the color in the Bisley story for it mm. to fully make sense. I, I had trouble following that story without the color. And I have to say too, Paul Guinan was never an artist though I would have gra gravitated toward back in the day. I liked the flashy guys. I liked the image guys. He very much was not that. But looking at his story as an adult today, I really appreciate the artwork in 
Advent and Terminus. I like that it, these are real people with that look like real people. I'm, I'm pretty sure there were some models being used for this. That doesn't always work for me with some creators or some properties. Sometimes I want that idealized image as opposed to a photorealistic take. And uh, again, he's, he's not doing like the heavy rendering and stuff, but th these clearly seem to be people modeled off of real people. And in, in Aliens, where I think it works very well, I, I like that they are human and I like the, I don't know if he's like doing high contrast photographs for some of the stuff he's doing with the pyramids, but I like the contrast between the what's clearly drawings and what appear to be photocopies. I like the way he renders the hieroglyphs. I like the skulls. I just, I like everything about the art on this story. And I think it really serves Aliens specifically well. I I, I, I don't think Guinan does a lot more work within Aliens, but I, I do think that it's a good job here. This was definitely, I feel, the best of the stories that we're covering in this episode. And I did like, too, the sociopolitical qualities that, I, that I, I'm presuming that Anita Bennett contributed to heavily, given that a lot of it does seem to be related in the gender, but despite the fact that most of these people are bad people doing bad things and coming to bad ends as a result. Yeah, I mean, the the, the art itself, I think, is is something to behold. I, I do like all the, I don't know, it's, it, it, you know, there, there's a mood, there's an atmosphere, there's layers to the, the shadows and the shade, like you do feel like you're in the environment that you're supposed to be in, this this pyramid that wouldn't necessarily be well lit. Like, I, I, I think my favorite piece in the whole thing, I, I, I give a call out to Ryan Daly again, like if I was going to, if I was going to go gaga over a piece of original art in Advent Terminus, it would be the Advent page where, uh, you know, the, the synthesoid babe gets, gets ripped in half in the second panel, but even there's a nice, it's a, it's a double page splash and on the bottom, well, not a splash, but a, a double page spread and, and the, you know, you've got Zorn there, you know, shooting the, the alien away and then her kind of discarded, uh, torso is, is falling to the wayside and everything. Meanwhile, you can see the light is coming from the camera woman. Like that's the only light that's really coming from the entire location. So it's, I, I, I think that's, you know, and, and the, the light that he's got on his, his machine gun basically. So I, I, I think that's like one of my favorite, um, favorite sets of pages in the whole thing. Well, and it's probably the only time where you get all the characters, you get a full body alien, uh, to, to borrow your term, the member berries with her having all mm -hmm. the parts like Ash would have when he's ripped in half. I do. If, if I were playing the game, I could, I would definitely probably find myself with the same two page spread if possible. So I guess since we only get a page a piece, we'd have to like do a timeshare yeah, on it or something. It won't end with one of us killing the other one we're, or anything no, like that. We're, we're not. Don't worry. It's just a Paul guy, and no we'll be fine. Smacking anyone in the back of the head with a with a camera, a VHS camera from 1980 or whatever. Like you know, these days it'd be what like a drone that's like the size of a, a walnut or something. But but back then it was the the VHS camera. It, it, and it is very funny too. It's one of those things where no matter how much of a futurist you want to be, there's always that that thing you miss, and it's almost always down to things like miniaturization. We're always trying to keep things the same size or go bigger when clearly everything has gotten smaller and more convenient. Like I still struggle with the idea of, you know, like I want to get a camera and record things and it's like, just get a right, iPhone, right. you know, that people are shooting movies on iPhones now. Who's the fucking idiot running around with an actual 
actual full-size camera and shit, you know? Um, and even me, you know, even if I'm doing a digital camera, it's going to be a fraction of the size of the thing that she's lugging around. So I guess that thing, like, can actually shoot an alien. Like, maybe there's a gun in there somewhere, and that's why it's so damn big. I don't know how in-universe you explain the existence of this thing. Maybe it, it's uh, built for all environments and can go underwater and everything else. Yeah, there's 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 something. Or maybe maybe there's a uh, maybe there's a mother DOS prompt in the, the VHS camcorder. <laughs> The guy's trying to get into a fist fight with an alien, and as you said, predictably, the blood starts raining down, and he, he, he you know, gives himself yeah. an acid bath. I, I, that looks cool, and I, it, it was a fitting in for that asshole anyway, so definitely think, dug I that. I think the, uh, the Indiana Jones wannabe guy, too, like, th- th- that's the perfect end for him, because his, his fedora is finally knocked off, and he just looks like a schmo, and you see he's screaming like a little girl when the, the, the um, face hugger is jumping towards him. Face everything and that you know it's interesting because like there there's something to be said right like like it, it's there there's something about that image in black and white but i think it also really pops on the on the color version with a lot of this stuff like the way it's offset with like the 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 light blue and you can really see the face hugger like just pop out at you and i i kind of liked you know when when the camera woman gets taken out how they color that all red like it almost reminded me of the the creep show segment the crate you know how they they stick Adrian Barbro in the crate and it's like it, it's just some unseen thing that's obscured is like mutilating the hell out of her and like that that's basically like you just you kind of just have to use your imagination right that there's this alien in the ship but they don't actually show you what's going on but you could see like sort of the the I don't know end results of the the shrubbery getting stuck in the wood chopper so to speak right you can see that the the, the aftermath of that all the kind of wood chucks and leaves just flying all over the place and in this case it's just you know you know blood and bone and whatever it is flesh getting you know you know ripped all over the place and everything so I think that that works really well with the the colors it's fun because in black and white it's very Warren and in color it's very mm-hmm. epic illustrated but it, it, by the way it feels very late 70s early 80s and I think that's a good vibe since that's the origin yeah, point yeah, of aliens anyway definitely. 21st Century Boys, A.J. Ducky, Andrew R., Between the Pages Blog, Billy Hines, BotTalk.com, C.H., Canoes, who added thanks, Chris A. Field, Otherverse Games, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Krista, Dear Watchers, a Marvel What If podcast, Del Dracula, Doc Strange, Dirk Ashton, who added thanks, R.S.P., Ed Moore, Gregory Litchfield, the Hammer Strikes, geeky stuff, and voiceover. Hello Berlin, slowly descending into madness. History of Comics on Film. Ian Keith Thomas. I was Joe's Totally 80s. Jeffrey Brown, They, Them. King Dinosaur. Kirk Spencer. Lamar the Elf Revenger. Lucretia. Mike, it's send aliens to me. Moose the Hobo with the High Kick, Matson. Ramona's Power Hour. Richard Dent. Right Between the Eyes Podcast. Ryan Daly. Sensational Gus, Siskoid, Spacebox 189, Tim Stevenson, Tora, Ufta, VHS Killer, and Wonder Woman Warrior for Peace podcast. This has been a Roald Spine podcast. All audio samples are believed covered under fair use laws. No copyright infringement is intended. 
coming in January. Aliens Genocide with guest Ryan Daly.